Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I mentioned previously, a few programs ago, about this warning from Vladimir Putin concerning war between United States of America and Iran, that it would be catastrophic or would be a catastrophe. Well, that is one area, or you could say theater, in the world where there certainly is broiling or boiling of warfare with seizing of ocean tankers, specifically oil tankers, taking place in the Strait of Hormuz, the Gulf of Oman, between the Persian Gulf and the Arabian Sea, with the Indian Sea not far away. All manner of activity there. And then as you go towards Africa, of course there has been a tremendous amount of barbaric Islamist piracy of shipping that has gone on for decades. Extremely violent, vicious attacks that have been countered by efforts by the United States Navy's SEALs, special operations. But there's all manner of warfare brewing in the Middle East, the expanded greater Middle East. In Syria and Turkey, interestingly enough, Turkey, which is supposedly an ally of the United States of America, Turkey, a member state of NATO, is, has been, continues to, is act backing, supporting Islamist terrorism, specifically what is referred to as the Islamic State, or ISIS, or ISIL, or Daesh. Well, with friends like that, who needs enemies? But then, of course, what's going on in Syria where the Islamist or Islamic State has attempted to establish a caliphate to take over that entire nation, which is under the totalitarian Bashar al-Assad regime and has been for decades and decades and decades, an arch-rival, extreme enemy of Israel, But (laughs) pick your foes, pick your friends. (laughs) Whatever group of Islamists you choose, they should be on the enemy side of the equation, not on the friend side. This matter of the enemy of my enemy is my friend nonsense is just that. It is a lie. It is a ruinous lie. 
But the United States of America chooses to engage in real politic, which is the enemy of morality and righteousness and godliness. But should that come as any surprise? When the federal government of the United States of America insists on allying itself with evil of all manner of description, whether it happens to be the most monstrous murder campaign known to man, that of induced abortion of the only completely, utterly, totally innocent members of society, while they are supposedly under the protection of their mothers in their mothers' wombs, completely defenseless, completely helpless, and being preyed upon murderously, monstrously by medical professionals who used to be sworn to protect life. You know, with that old passe Hippocratic oath to do no harm. But many choose to prostitute themselves to commit evil, to dedicate themselves to do monstrous, murderous evil. But meanwhile, while we promote, reward, encourage, condone, honor even, induced abortion and infanticide along with it, And then the sexual corruption of the young, promoting promiscuous sexual so-called activity, immorality, and now heavily pushing the sodomite agenda as well, sexual perversion to go along with that. And our society as a whole, which has, through the entertainment industry, among others, promoted adultery, fornication, and what have you. And now, again, sexual perversion. But with all of the justice system, the court systems, which have, in fact, promoted, legalized and promoted vicious anti-woman, anti-girl pornography for decades and decades and decades and decades, and then claim to defend girls and defend young women and defend women, when in fact the exact opposite is true, and have taken a hands-off approach concerning pimps, prostituting, trafficking, kidnap, rape, trafficking of girls and young women. These are just some of the myriad evils in this nation. So when this nation chooses to embrace evil and promote evil and reward evil, is it any surprise when our foreign relations are anything but moral or righteous or godly? It should come as no surprise. It should be expected. But... While certainly there is room, great room, for catastrophic what would you call it? Ramifications, catastrophic 
losses, catastrophic casualties in the Middle East. Not just if the United States of America engages in warfare with the Islamist regime of Iran, but also all of these other Islamist regimes and Islamist terrorist groups and what have you. Certainly, there's great chance, great potential for that. And yet, amazingly enough, tiny Israel somehow manages to survive from year to year, even while the wonderful United States of America, which is supposedly an ally of Israel, continues to provide enormous state-of-the-art military support to Islamist regimes such as Saudi Arabia, Jordan, United Arab Emirates, and the list goes on. But while there is this great potential for catastrophe in the Middle East, where else in the world is there heavy likelihood of extreme destructive consequences. Well, other than along the Russian front, yes, I did say the Russian front. You could call it the Western front of Russia, call it the Eastern front of Europe, but Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Belarus... Moldova, Ukraine, Georgia, tremendous destruction is going to be coming to that region sometime soon, courtesy of Vladimir Putin's Russian Federation, totalitarian regime. The question then is, how far further will he push? And how far will he need to invade and push before there is a response from the NATO powers, superpowers, UK and France and Germany, which does not have nuclear weapons, last I knew, but has sophisticated conventional weaponry, as well as standing armies and what have you. But will they need to invade Poland? Will Poland be the triggering nation again? The invasion, the destruction of Poland by Hitler's Nazi Third Reich triggered the belated entrance by Britain and France into World War II. Will it be the field of combat that triggers World War IV? Or will World War IV begin before that? Namely, not with the invasion of these other nations, but will it be triggered elsewhere? In the Middle East or in Asia? Well, in Asia, there are so many pivot points there. There's so many pressure centers. There's so many possibilities. But... I mentioned in the previous program about Kashmir, the region of Kashmir, which is in India, 
which abuts Pakistan, which Pakistan claims because, among other reasons, there is a very large Muslim population there, Muslim majority in Kashmir, unlike the population throughout the rest of India, which, while it has millions of Muslims, does not have as heavy a proportion of Muslims as in Kashmir. But the possibilities there of warfare between India and Pakistan, with Pakistan relying upon its nuclear force, its nuclear arsenal, its nuclear weapons, its nuclear warheads on its rockets aimed at India. Great potential for massive destruction and mayhem. President Trump offered, of all things, he offered to broker a peace. That's right. He offered to broker a peace between India and Pakistan. What a great man. What a great man. What a great thing. He would bring peace to to this region of the world. That's like saying he's going to bring peace to Afghanistan and so forth. You know, it just, oh well. Uh, It is a pipe dream, but it was rebuffed, refused, whatever, by India and Pakistan. Meanwhile, he continues to cozy up to Kim Jong-un, Kim Young-un's North Korean communist regime, vicious, ruthless, murderous communist regime, which continues to fire off short-range ballistic missiles into the ocean, in the vicinity of Japan, in the vicinity of, off the coasts of South Korea, but not intending to cause any confrontation, not intending to provoke any reaction. No, no, no. Just, you know, it's just a matter of course. And our president, he doesn't see anything wrong with it. It's just, this is just run-of-the-mill stuff, just regular stuff. Or words to that effect. I know, I know I've got it right when I say stuff. I'm not sure about the words preceding stuff. But meanwhile, interestingly enough, the president, because he receives these extremely sensitive intelligence briefings, daily briefings from CIA, NSA, from the Department of Defense intelligence agencies, and his national defense director and so forth, national intelligence director, he receives the latest and greatest, the best and brightest information concerning developments around the world, threats to peace around the world, threats posed to the United States of America, And interestingly enough, he chooses to continue to cozy up to the 
nation which actually is in charge of North Korea, communist China, as he cozies up to North Korea. China is clearly, unmistakably, foretelling of its intentions to invade Hong Kong violently, militarily. Claiming that the civilian protesters, pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong are engaging in terrorism. This is a byline that the communist Chinese are wont to use, one of many. But this is the prelude. They are gathering their paramilitary People's Liberation Army groups. People's Liberation Army is official military, but then they have their paramilitary stormtrooper gangs, thugs, and what have you that are supposedly for riot control. And they are on the verge of invading Hong Kong. How can you say invading Hong Kong? Communist China, Hong Kong is part of it. Hong Kong belongs to it. Well, thanks to UK, thanks to Great Britain, ceding Hong Kong to Communist China, which UK Great Britain received from non-Communist China, indefinitely, or definitely, if you will. There was no lease, not on Hong Kong, not to be confused with Kowloon, have you? No lease on Hong Kong, but Great Britain, weaker than weaker than weak, nuclear-powered, weakling UK, ceded Hong Kong to communist, vicious, ruthless, murderous, communist China. Dear communist China, which slaughtered more people than any regime in history has ever slaughtered. And whom did they slaughter? Overwhelmingly, predominantly Chinese people. But People from Canton fled to Hong Kong for safety. But UK, wonderful, peace-loving, weaker than weak, weakling, UK, nuclear-powered weakling UK, ceded Hong Kong to Communist China and sealed the fate of all peoples of Hong Kong. And so a great many people, a great many families fled. Some of them liquidated their assets for whatever they could get for them and fled, left, flew to Canada, for instance, to British Columbia. Others went to other places, but they left, they fled. In other cases, instead of selling family businesses, they left behind a contingent of the family to run the businesses 
while others departed, others fled, and so forth. But, and others did not. Others just thought, oh, it's not going to be bad. It's not going to change. Everything will be the same as it's been here in Hong Kong. We will still enjoy our independence. And meanwhile, communist China, its regime went through the the fraudulent fiction of pretending it was going to honor, respect, safeguard independence for Hong Kong for a time. But President Trump, he is trying to coddle the favor of North Korea, communist, vicious communist regime, North Korea, and its vicious leader, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, and coddle the favor of communist China. So earlier this month, our president, President Trump, referred to the protests taking place throughout Hong Kong as being riots. Riots. Dangerous riots. Armed riots. Using the propaganda language employed by the communist regime of China. Using that against Hong Kong to defame the pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong, to label them as rioters, violent rioters. He didn't use the term violent, just riots, just rioters. But that dovetailed with the character assassination engaged in by the communist Chinese regime to defame these people, and to justify violent military invasion of Hong Kong and destruction of rioters. What have they been rioting about, (laughs) supposedly rioting about? Well, first of all, they've been protesting, picketing, protesting, calling for changes, but they've also been calling for Hong Kong's supposedly autonomous government not to yield to the demands of communist China. Lots of luck with that when they have a puppet regime, a communist puppet regime in Hong Kong but not to yield to the demands and the machinations of communist China, enabling the communist Chinese regime to spirit away any in Hong Kong that are opposed to the evils of the communist Chinese regime, opposed to communist China asserting its power to destroy over Hong Kong. But our president, by labeling these pro-democracy, pro-freedom, 
protesters, as rioters, he unmistakably indicated to communist China that he, his administration, the free world, will not respond, no matter what communist China does to Hong Kong. Unmistakably. Great work, Mr. President. So the People's Army, People's Liberation Army, the People's Armed Police, and their other gangster thugs are free to engage in a reign of terror against these innocents in Hong Kong. Students, high school students, college students, men, women, children, families, loved ones. And when the streets of Hong Kong run red with the blood of these innocent people, there will be no response from the West because the only nation in the West that would respond is the United States of America, and our president has already unmistakably communicated to the communist Chinese regime by his words that there will be no response. Outstanding. Before I proceed, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's right and true and good in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. But what all else is going on in Asia? Well, Our president, and again now perhaps you're listening from Scandinavia, from Europe, from the UK, from Australia, from Canada, from wherever, around the globe, Israel, China. (laughs) When I say our president, I mean the president of the United States of America, not to be confused with the president of communist China, president for life, Xi Jinping, not to be confused with the president of de facto president for life, Vladimir Putin of the Russian Federation and so forth. Well, President Trump and in cooperation with his illustrious advisors, he is seeing to it that sale of $8 billion worth of F-16 fighter jets to Taiwan are not delivered. This amounts to 66 jet fighters. The United States of America has not engaged in such trade with Taiwan forever and a day. But this particular transaction is at a standstill. It is in limbo. 
Yes. But there are interesting supporters. There's interesting, I wouldn't go so far as to call it collaboration as agreement, simply agreement by our illustrious members of Congress and the U.S. Senate. In the case of the U.S. Senate, Robert Menendez, New Jersey, who is on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's the highest-ranking Democrat on that committee. And he has stated that the president's administration is possibly, he's being very diplomatic, possibly obstructing this sale. Quote, Taiwan's defense cannot be a bargaining chip to be cashed in for a smile from China's dictatorship. End quote. Well put, Senator Menendez, Democrat, New Jersey. Meanwhile, United States Representative from Texas, Michael McCall has said the following. Quote, our support for Taiwan through arms transfers is not up for negotiation with Beijing. End quote. Not up for negotiation with the communist Chinese regime of China. Quote, I will support the sale of F-16s to Taiwan as soon as the State Department notices them to our committee, which I expect to happen soon. End quote. Now, that, that's curious wording, isn't it? As soon as the State Department notices them. It doesn't mean as soon as the State Department happens to take notice of something, but rather as soon as the State Department sends notification to his committee, the House Foreign Affairs Committee. So we have Democrat Senator Menendez, Republican Representative Michael McCall of Texas strongly agreeing on this matter on support in the form of arms sales of aircraft, of modern aircraft to Taiwan with which to defend itself from invasion by communist China. While the president's administration delays and obstructs in order to curry the favor of communist China. This too, just as the president referring to the freedom-seeking protesters in Hong Kong, just as that communicates to communist China to refer to them as rioters, 
communicates to communist China that he will not in any way, shape, or form interfere with, respond to, react to violent, murderous attacks waged against Hong Kong by communist China. So too here. His delaying holding up this sale of these aircraft to Taiwan signals exactly the same thing, but concerning invasion of Taiwan. Meanwhile, this same Trump administration engages in massive arms sales to Saudi Arabia, to United Arab Emirates, to Jordan, and so forth, to the Islamist regimes of the Middle East. which shall not be invaded by Israel, but which perpetually seek to destroy Israel. But Taiwan, which is in imminent danger of invasion and overthrow and destruction, this president, this pro-democracy president, uses his administration power to oppose this. It's strange in one sense, and that is that, of course, after being elected president, he spoke with the leadership in Taiwan, something that was considered absolutely provocative to the communist Chinese, and offensive to them, and just unheard of. No American president had done that for decades and decades, to the shame of the United States of America. But meanwhile, bloody communist regime, the bloodiest regime in all human history, most favored nation, communist China. We do things strangely here in the United States of America, but, oh well. (laughs) What's the worst that could come? Meanwhile, our military, such as it is, our military is planning for big things. I'm not just talking about the Space force that the president wants, which has been opposed by his Air Force secretary, Heather Wilson, I believe, is her name. But I'm referring to this matter of promotion of artificial intelligence, extremely sophisticated cloud computing system called Jedi, and artificial intelligence. We have a joint artificial intelligence center headed up by Lieutenant General Jack Shanahan, who stated the following, quote, 
It is also about joint all-domain warfighting, taking advantage of emerging technologies to develop new operating concepts for a kind of warfare that will look completely different than what we've experienced for the past 20 years, end quote. <laughs> Let alone the past 100 years. But the United States of America, its military, is counting on and its leaders in the executive branch and the legislative branch, its civilian leaders and its commander-in-chief, are depending upon our military being able to prevail via technology. And it certainly is understandable, given (laughs) what has taken place in the world of technology, in the world of supercomputers and artificial intelligence. It's completely understandable. The team that has the most outstanding, sophisticated, high-tech computerization throughout its military ranks is the team that will win. Regardless whether they have the backing or the blessing of God Almighty, because God Almighty, God is just, you know, that's just something religious and in the view of others, philosophical and in the view of others, mythical and what have you. What really matters is the strength of the arm, the flesh of the arm, whether that happens to be the old, old, ancient, archaic matter of waging war with swords, which, of course, Muslim terrorists still on occasion engage in, such as in the streets of London, or such as when they have taken some person hostage, such as a journalist, a reporter. Amazing. But, or U.S. soldier, allied soldier, what have you. But all the way from that expression of the flesh of the arm, the strength, the power of military arms, all the way fast forward millennia to artificial intelligence, supercomputing, quantum computing, which, again, that's divorced from God, from faith in God, from belief in God. It's all about who has the most recent version of these high-tech toys to be able to prevail in the future, in future wars. Future wars, there aren't going to be wars, right? But interestingly enough, it is interesting to me anyway that the United States of America is is making preparations for very high-tech warfare 
with very big players, superpowers, communist China, Russian Federation, and nuclear-powered North Korea, among others. So on the one hand, I find that agreeable that they are at least aware to that extent that, yes, they can expect war with these various actors who many insist, oh, no, there will never be another war like that, never world war, never with superpowers. That's never going to happen. But on the downside is this idea that the war will be engaged in and controlled by, run by, to such a great extent, computerized systems, artificial intelligence-driven systems, systems which, in fact, can fire, can engage targets, can engage the enemy, even without human authorization or order. So some sort of a crazy, futuristic hybrid of 2001 A Space Odyssey could and presumably will happen. But where is the focus, though, really, of these concerns? It is none other than Asia, stretching from Russia down through North Korea, down through communist China, and on down through these nations, these other communist regimes, which they're not even really looking at, the likes of Vietnam, Laos, Myanmar, and then on down through the Islamist regimes of Indonesia, Malaysia, and so forth. And then, of course, if you sweep west, you come to India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, and Iran, and so forth. Sweep on around the globe. But in the United States of America, it's not in God we trust, it's technology that we trust in. In technology, we trust. In artificial intelligence, we trust. In cloud computing, we trust. Very exciting. Not to say that there shouldn't be some attention being given there when there is such heavy, heavy investment and focus and targeting by North Korea's communist regime, by communist China's regime, by the Russian Federation on the most sophisticated of hacking and ransomware attacks like the Russian Federation engaged in against Ukraine, not just in Crimea, but throughout all of Ukraine and which wound up finding its way to other parts of the world notably in Europe, but oh well. 
That's a matter of coming attractions. Speaking of coming attractions, and our president, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, there is the matter of challenge from the Democrats who seek that high office, who believe that they belong in the presidency. They belong in the White House. They should be running the show. And this is one thing that I think you have to give this president credit for, and that is encouraging these young guns, these young politicians who are barely old enough to run for president, barely reaching the threshold of the age of 35, who believe that they deserve to run for president. You know, in previous decades and decades, it's been this matter of, well, who deserves to run based on... (laughs) based on seniority, based on, you know, it's their turn. Well, they've tried before and failed, but they should have another chance at it. You know, Hillary Rodham Clinton, John Kerry. Yes, Joe Biden is also in that group. And yes, he is the front runner, the presumptive front runner on the Democrat side at this time. But there certainly are some chinks in his armor. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders, what about poor Bernie? After all, doesn't he deserve to be the one to lead the Democrats, even though he's not Democrat, even though he's independent, so-called, even though he is socialist, even though he's an old guy, relatively, compared to these young ones, you know, double their age plus, but Shouldn't he be the candidate? Doesn't he deserve this? Well, it depends on your definition of deserve, I suppose. But there is this plethora of candidates, you know, the top 24 Democrat candidates. of, And they're at the top of the heap of the hundreds of Democrats and socialists and communists and what have you that are on the leftist side of things. Then there are those that are not leftists, but are independents. Oh, they're the terrible right-wingers, right? No, not really. There's this terrible miscommunication, this terrible confusion about who are on the right. And there is this character assassination, defamation, which is engaged in continually, perpetually, to state, to educate, to indoctrinate, to propagandize that fascism, that the fascists, that the totalitarians are right-wing. No, they're not. Fascism is a branch of socialism. Socialism is leftist. So you may have one side of the coin of socialism being 
communism and another side being fascism. But that entire coin is in the leftist camp. All of socialism is leftist. Fascism is leftist. These are just different branches of leftism, strident leftism. But what is referred to as conservative would be viewed as being to the right of the leftists. And understandably, and I would say correctly so. But these titles, conservative, liberal, they are all but meaningless in truth. But of the Democrat contenders, of their top 24, their most elite, their most outstanding candidates, there are four that are in a little bit of trouble at this time. Why are they in trouble, you may ask? Well, it's because after the exciting, invigorating Democrat presidential debates that have already taken place, which only required those included in those debates to have received a following of 1%. 1% of support in qualifying political polls. Now that has been ratcheted up. Now they need to reach a threshold of 2% support in these specified qualifying political polls, political opinion polls. But then throw in another requirement by the Democratic National Committee, and that is that they must have received donations from at least 130,000 people. Now, that may sound like it makes sense. You know, then you're not just being supported by a few rich guys and gals, right? Instead, you're receiving this broad-based grassroots support. But there's a little problem with it, at least in the view of some people, and that is they think that riches can buy that kind of support. For instance, a quote from one of the Democrat presidential candidates, Montana's Governor Steve Bullock, quote, We're kidding ourselves if we're calling a $10 million purchase of 130,000 donors a demonstration of grassroots support, end quote. What do you mean a $10 million purchase of 130,000 donors? Yes, yes, those with the money they can purchase... donor lists, and they can easily manage to compile the necessary number of donors. So one of these is Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer, he is the one who has been greatly pushing impeachment of the president. He's an impeachment activist, not to be confused 
with the U.S. rep who has been pushing that. But this Tom Steyer, he is basing his presidential campaign on this. But he is one of the four that uh, has not met the threshold yet. Yes, he's met the 130,000 donors, but he has not reached the 2% support in qualifying polls. Neither has New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Neither has former Housing Secretary Julian Castro, or Julian, if you prefer. Neither has U.S. Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii. And they have to meet these standards in order to be included in the debates from Houston, Texas on September 12th and 13th. Something to look forward to. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know. We truly will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.